This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Good night, Shabbos. Hope everyone is well. We'd like to wish a mazel tov to Rabbi Mrs. Avram Zipper upon the engagement of their grandson. May they see much nachas from him and from all of their grandchildren. This week's parasha is uh, perhaps one of the most difficult parashas in all Chamisha Chamsha to try to wrap our heads around and to try to understand. This week's parasha we're presented with the famous story of the Miraglim. Kali Yisrael sent 12 great people, great tzaddikim, anashim chashuvim, wonderful, amazing people, elites of the community, rabbinic figures perhaps, to go report back on what is going on in Eretz Yisrael, what is the status of this unknown land that we were promised and we were guaranteed we're going to get. And they come back with a report that is not exactly favorable of the land of Eretz Yisrael. And from that day on till today, we commemorate and we still feel the loss of that story every year on Tisha B'Av. And we still feel what it meant not to be able to go into Eretz Yisrael. And the Jewish people at that time were punished those between the ages of 20 and 60 did not merit to leave the Midbar and ultimately die in the Midbar. But this is a sin that is still still felt even up till today. And there are so many questions to psychoanalyze. What was the thought process of the Maragli? What was their motivation? And there are many, many, many svarim written on to try to understand why the ifs, the thought process. But I want to point to a different Nakuda and something that we can gain from from the story of the Miraglim. We know in the opening Pasuk, when the commandment originally comes down for the Miraglim, the Pasuk that the Torah uses is rather interesting. Hashem says to Marish Rabbeinu, send for yourself messengers, spies. What's the wording lecha for you? So Rashi comments from the Medrash that Marish Rabbeinu was not getting a direct commandment from HaKadosh Baruch. This was what we call optional. If you want, you may. I'm not commanding you. I'm not requiring you. I'm not demanding of you to send the Miraglim. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that there's no need for Miraglim. Eretz Yisrael is fantastic. It's amazing. Everything's going to be wonderful. But if you want your business, you go for it. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew deep down, this is not going to end well. This is not going to be a simple procedure. But you know what? If you want, I let you go. And ultimately, we know the ending of the story. So the obvious question is, so why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu let us do it? Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu set us up for failure? Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu let us go there <coughs> knowing we're going to make a mistake? So Rav Matul Katz, the great tells of Rosh Hashiva, made the following lesson, pointed out the following lesson in this week's parish. We all know as parents, as educators, as mashpiyim, those who affect others, we know sometimes that our, our musr, our advice, is not going to be listened and sometimes you just have to let them make their own mistakes. Very often parents and teachers, educators, and really anyone who deals with other people, sometimes you know that someone's going to make a mistake. The plan that they have is bound to fall. The idea that they have is not a good one. But they don't want to hear what you have to say. And if you tell them it's a bad idea, and you tell them don't do it, they're going to do it anyways, and it's going to hurt your relationship. For that reason, it says, says the says Ramatul Katz, for that reason, you know what? You're not going to listen to me anyways. You're not mature enough. You're not ready to hear that I'm telling you that this is a bad idea. So do what you have to and then you'll have to live with the consequences. Sometimes in life we come to a situation where we say to ourselves, well, I have to lay down the law. Maybe. 
if laying down the law is going to accomplish something, if they're going to listen to you, if they're going to improve. But if you're just going to yell and scream and make a big deal and they're still not going to listen to you, then what have you accomplished? teaching us a very, very important lesson from the story of the Miraglim. And as parents, we know sometimes we just, it falls on what we say, deaf ears, they're not going to listen to us anyways. But I would take it a step further. Sometimes, as parents we know, and educators we for sure know, and that sometimes they have to learn on their own. We can only tell them so much. And they'll experience, Christ will realize on their own that this was a mistake. Sometimes you don't realize a mistake, and someone could tell you it's a mistake, but you don't realize it until you live it. Of course, we don't want our children and our students and our neighbors falling into these types of situations. But sometimes in life, there's nothing you can do. The person doesn't want to listen to you. They don't want to hear your advice. They think they're right. They think they're right. They think they know what they're doing. And ultimately, they'll only learn what we say in English the hard way when they realize that they should have listened better. They should have been more careful. They should have been more wise in the decision making. But this Rav Matul Katz, a great tells of Rosh Hashiva, has an amazing story with him, which I can't imagine would ever happen today. But again, Rav Matul Katz knew his students. In the 1950s, Rav Matul Katz was Rosh Hashiva and tells. The boys came to him one night and they asked, can they daven Mayriv? Can they change around the Seder of the Yeshiva? They wanted to daven Mayriv a little earlier. Why? Because that night there was a massive, a major, major boxing match. They wanted to not watch it. They wanted to listen to it on the radio. So they wanted to rearrange the Seder of the Yeshiva so they could catch the boxing match. Now today, if you would suggest this to any Rebbe in any Yeshiva that you want to switch the schedule so you can watch the Super Bowl, so you can watch the World Series, the Rebbe would give you an hour and a half Moses Shmuz You'll never want to watch baseball again. But Ramatul Katz knew his crowd. He knew his boys. He knew that this was sacred to them. He knew this was important to them. He said, yes, I will. And he said this verse. He said, they're not ready yet. They're not mature enough. They're not ready to be told, no, you can't. You're terrible. And you can sometimes gain more by letting them give in to them a little bit. Let them. And they, I'm sure when they got older, they realized that that was a foolish mistake. But sometimes you have to know when is it worth, when is it worth getting yourself into a, a yelling match, a screaming match. Is it worth it? Am I going to lose more than I'm going to gain? I remember when I was a Rebbe, I taught senior boys in high school. And that year, we were, as, as every yeshiva deals with, we were fighting the pandemic against cell phones. It was rampant. Every boy had a cell phone. So the policy of the yeshiva was, if a boy is found with a cell phone, the cell phone gets confiscated forever. And I had a student by me who was doing very well. He was learning very well. His first year in high school, he was really, really shining beautifully. A real superstar. And I caught him with a cell phone. And I had a dilemma. What should I do over here? I take away the cell phone, I'm going to lose the Talmud forever. But the yeshiva has a policy. Now, I don't know if I made the right decision or not. I don't know if the principal agreed with me. But I ended up not confiscating the cell phone. Because in my mind, it was worth it. It was a battle to win over him continuing to him. Because I knew once I take away the cell phone, he's done. He's not going to learn a word for the rest of the year. Because he's, he's upset, he's frustrated. I'm the bad guy, I lost him forever. But I thought sometimes you have to know when is it worth the fight. And when sometimes is it, hopefully he'll realize as he gets older that that's not the way to grow in learning. And perhaps that's one of the very important lessons that we're learning from this week's parasha. You have to know your crowd. Sometimes it's just not worth it. You're not going to get through to them. And it's going to be more harm than danger. Because if HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, no, I don't let you, then B'nai Yisrael would push back even more. Of course we know sometimes we tell our kids we can't do something, then they want to do it even more. So we have to know in life when we're dealing with people... And, and, and we have to make decisions of what to fight, what not to fight. We have to realize, we have to choose our battles very carefully. But I think there's another very important lesson in this week's parasha, which is very apropos to the time we find ourselves right now. As the year comes to a close, many people are graduating, moving on to new, new fields, new areas in life. 
you know, from elementary school to high school, high school to post-high school, these are all very big changes socially and emotionally to different parts of our life. When the, when the Moroccan come back, they, they give a description about how they felt. And they say that we were in their eyes like grasshoppers. They viewed us like grasshoppers. So the question is, how did, how did the Moroccan know how the natives viewed them? So all the Bali must point out a very important psychological idea is that we view ourselves based on what we think others are. We, we assume that others view our, us the way we view ourselves. If we feel low about ourselves, then others view us that way also. But if we feel confident about ourselves, then others will, we think, will, will imagine in our head, others look at us as confident. The Miraglim said that we're a bunch of nobodies, we're a bunch of low lights. Oh yeah, so that's the way they perceive themselves, because that's how the Miraglim perceived themselves. When a person looks at himself with the lack of ability, then he thinks everyone else thinks of him like that also. But if a person comes in with a, with a, with a safe and healthy balance of confidence, where he looks at himself as, I'm a, I could do it, I can accomplish, then he knows or he feels that others look at him like that also. Now as people graduate from different stages of life, it's nerve-wracking, it's scary. New friends, new circles, and right away we think lowly of ourselves. Oh, no one likes me. I'm the bottom of the, of the, of the pole. I'm not important. I'm not valued. And you start to say it, and, and then you're like, that's what everyone says about you. Or you even think people are saying that about you. But if a person has a healthy confidence level, not gaiva, but a healthy confidence level, where you feel secure in who you are, you'll be much happier. And that's what gave Kalev the impetus to stand up to them. We find later on, Kalev has no problem standing up to basically all of Kalev's. Where does he have that power to stand up? Because he was comfortable in his own, shoe, his own two shoes. When a person is confident in who he is, he says, listen, I know the right thing. I learned. I studied. I was educated. I'm not a pushover. Then he doesn't view himself as a pushover. And then he acts like someone who's not a pushover. The other Miraglim were too caught up in their own low level of feeling about themselves and they even felt that's how others perceived them. While Kov had the exact opposite. Kov had a healthy balance of self-confidence. He knew this was wrong. And this expression is, is, is one of the main p- parts of the Torah where we learn about peer pressure. It's another thing. As we go into the summer, people go to different places, they meet new people and there's a terrible, terrible temptation for peer, for peer pressure to fit in with everyone else. Kalev stood up against peer pressure. How? Because he was comfortable in his own shoes. He was confident who he was. The other Moroccan were not confident. They lacked self-confidence. When a person has good, healthy self-confidence, he can accomplish great things. He can stand up to the world around him as long as he knows he's doing what's right. So as we read this week's parasha, besides for trying to blame the Moroccan, let's take lessons from the story. Let's A, realize sometimes when it's not worth pushing back, when it's not worth picking a fight, when it's not worth making World War Three out of something, sometimes people have to learn the hard way. They have to see with their own eyes why their plans didn't work. And more than anything, let's realize, let's internalize this idea that we have to be confident in who we are. Self-worth is so important today. Not gaiva, not like we own the world. That we have confidence that we can accomplish, that we can do. And when we see things that are wrong, we stand up, we say, I know this was wrong, I was educated, I was taught. I have a tradition, I was educated by my parents and my grandparents and my rabbi and my teachers. And I stand up for what's, for what's right. And that we could be zoicha to see great things. Mr. Hashem, we should be able to realize that in our own life and give that over to our children, our grandchildren, subsequent generations, to those around us, to all the people with Mashbi'ah. We should be able to make a difference in the world. And by doing so, we should be able to be Masak in this chait. And by doing so, we should be zoicha to merit what the Jewish people did not get in those years. To be able to go into Eretz Yisrael, the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to go into Eretz Yisrael. To take over Eretz Yisrael with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with the arrival of Mashiach, with the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash. Have a wonderful Shabbos.